Right now at the Disneyland Resort, you can save when you stay just steps away from all the magic. Save up to 25% on select rooms at a Disneyland Resort hotel. Visit Disneyland.com or call your travel agent to book for select nights now through April 12, 2018. There's no better time to get more happy. Savings based on the non-discounted price for the same room at the same hotel excludes applicable fees and taxes, subject to restrictions and change without notice. Separate theme park commission required to enjoy the parks. Blog Talk Radio. Heart Approach March 2018 podcast. Our topic this month is Inner Wealth in the Lecture Hall, NHA for the College Students. We are delighted to have you join us on this spring day in March. I am Stephanie Rule, a certified Nurtured Heart Approach Advanced Trainer, a former middle school counselor, and I work for the Children's Success Foundation. I am also a wife and a parent of two children, ages five and eight, and we live in a Nurtured Heart household. We have two incredible guests here with us today, and I would love to take a minute to introduce them. First, we have Michelle Dykus. Michelle lives in Davis, California, with her husband and two sons, who are 12 and 8 years old. She works as an adjunct professor of chemistry, teaching mostly foundational chemistry courses at University of California, Davis, and Sacramento City College. She is an advanced certified trainer in the Nurtured Heart Approach, and she runs a small training center in Davis where she holds workshops for parents, grandparents, and teachers. She was introduced to NHA when her older son was three years old, first by reading Transforming the Difficult Child, which literally fell off the library shelf, or at least that's how she remembers it, Um, and shortly after she attended a six-hour workshop, and then shortly after that she attended her first CTI to become a certified trainer to bring the approach back to her community. She's loved every minute of deepening her interpretation of the approach over the last nine years and can't imagine life without it. Thanks for joining us, Michelle. Thank you, Stephanie. It's good to be here. It's great to have you here. So we'll go ahead and introduce our second guest who currently is not on air with us, but hopefully will be uh, joining us very soon. And her name is Dr. Sally Boss. Sally Boss directs the Southeast Asian Teacher Program, Hmong Culture and Language Program, and English as a Second Language Program at Concordia University in St. Paul, Minnesota. She is a licensed school psychologist, professor, and Nurtured Heart Approach Advanced Trainer who has spent many of her professional years working cross-culturally in preschool through 12th grade settings. Her areas of expertise include cross-cultural models, assessment, child and adolescent development, social-emotional learning, children's mental health, crisis response, leadership advocacy, and training. Dr. Boss's recent research includes What Does It Mean to Be Hmong in the Twin Cities of Minnesota, which was published by Lambert Academic Publishing, and a variety of other research projects based on building inner wealth and improving academic growth of children and youth. She has her own consulting business, Dr. Sally A. Boss Consulting, Unwrapping Greatness. So we are, we are happy to have at least one of our guests here today with us and hoping that the second guest um, will join us eventually. But while we're waiting for Sally, we'll go ahead and get started. Um, now that I have properly introduced the two of you, let's just take one quick minute before we dive into our discussion. 
since we do have listeners who are new to the Nurture Card Approach, and let's give them a quick 30-second thumbnail definition of what Nurture Card Approach is. I love hearing the different, the different perspectives of my guests that come on the show. Um, so, Michelle, in your own words, how would you describe the Nurture Card Approach to someone who is just hearing about it for the first time? Um, I think my latest interpretation of the Nurtured Heart Approach um, is a decision over anything else to connect with or influence, um, support others, and incrementally shifting out of their own undesirable behavior. And this is by bringing awareness to the qualities that they already have, actually, um, when they're under positive conditions, and to do it from a, a deeper and a you know, almost a primal place of connection so that they have access um, to and can tap into and to anchor to these qualities when they're under more challenging circumstances and then make good choices. And I think as an intervention, Nurtured Heart is uniquely and amazingly um, great at keeping um, the idea of holding someone accountable for something separate from what are we going to do to deter the behavior in the future? You know, so unlike traditional methods that would impose just a consequence to handle both of these things, um, nurtured heart will hold accountable, but then um, have a more reliable curriculum for building the inner wealth it takes to get someone to shift out of a challenging behavior. So that's how I'm seeing it these days. Yeah. (laughs) These days. I like that. And I love my favorite thing that you said uh, in your definition is the place of primal connection. That spoke to me because it's so very real. Um, That nurtured heart approach is absolutely about that primal connection, connecting on Mm -hmm. such a deep, deep level with, Uh, the people in your life. So, yeah, thank you so much for sharing that, Michelle. Sure. Now, let's talk about college. You know, what's interesting to me is that we are always hearing about what it looks like or how to use the Nurtured Heart approach in elementary school and middle school and high school. But college, that, for me, is a conversation that I have not been privileged to be a part of until now. And so I'm pretty excited to hear what you have to say and what you have to share about it. Um, let's hear what it's like teaching and lecturing those 18 to 25-year-olds. Um, I'd love to hear how you incorporate the three stands into a college classroom. Um, yeah, okay. So um, I may have a classroom right now. I'm, I have a class of 15, and then I have another class of 55 students. And mm-hmm. this three, everything I decide to do comes down to those three stands. You know, I might start with when I'm forming my syllabus and deciding on my policies that I need stand three, absolute clarity. Because if I'm going to be dealing with this many students and um, I'm going to hold them accountable for things, I need to be crystal clear and have things that I can actually hold them accountable for. Mm. Um, you know, they're not children, they're adults, and they have lives outside of the classroom. You know, they're parents, there's a lot of times single parents, 
um, they have a lot going on. And um, so what are my rules going to be? And what are my policies going to be? And what am I going to have in place for emergencies that come up? You know, at the community college, they don't live on campus, so they have to drive on I-5 and anything can happen on the way, you know, Mm. traffic. And so I'm really... Um, stand three is very important to setting up what I, I think has been a pretty successful classroom. I change things often, you know, from semester to semester, but um, I really have to put a lot of time in thinking those things through. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I can't foresee everything that's going to come up, <clears throat> but um, enough of it. You know, what if someone doesn't show up for an exam? what's going to happen? Am I going to give them a zero? (laughs) Um, So I put things in place so all of those can be handled. And just like I do at home with my kids, a lot of my decision-making has to do with, with not teaching them a lesson, but what will serve me. Um, Kind of like the power company (laughs) doesn't turn off your power if you don't pay your bill to teach you a lesson power company turns off your bill because they can't afford to um, give you power if you don't pay your bill. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's kind of like that. Um, stand, stand one. Um, you know, I never do want to energize anything that I don't, I don't really feel like I get into that situation very often, but, but I think it's my mindset. Um, I see other professors and, you know, falling into that, place where Mm -hmm. they could be leaking negativity because they're frustrated of what they're seeing. And I think I might have a different mindset knowing nurtured heart of of those things. And, um, and then your, your mindset, sorry, I just think that that's powerful right there, that your mindset with the nurtured heart approach, knowing the nurtured heart approach, being the nurtured heart approach um, helps you to not fall into those negative downfalls in a classroom environment even with you know even with adults I mean it's not just a a child thing it's not just about how you relate to children it's also about how you relate to adults so I can see how in a classroom of college students how very important stand one of not giving any energy to negativity is how how vital that is right and and I think what's really important to say is what I consider challenging behavior at this level. You know, it's Mm -hmm. not the same as when I volunteer in my second graders classroom (laughs) and everybody's, (laughs) you know, moving around all the time. And, um, you know, the teacher just needs some convergence with everyone being quiet. Um, You know, that's not, it's kind of the opposite. It's like a little bit of apathy. And um, so I would say that the, the two big things, um, that I consider challenging behavior come from two things I, I, I would say would be the root problem, which is one, students these days have so many distractions. Mm. Um, when I was a, a student, you know, I graduated high school in the 80s and we didn't have email and we didn't have online things. And we had a book, a notebook and a calculator. And we went to class and we had a relationship with our teacher and it was so simple. And my students, you know, now it's just, I don't know how they deal with it. You know, and on one hand, they're really good at it. They can shift back and forth between all these things. Um, uh, this, Even though it's probably not good to, when you need to focus on something, 
they do have an amazing ability to, um, you know, switch tasks when they need to. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other thing is, you know, there's a lot of academic learned helplessness. You know, students don't just learn things in lecture and go home and study and produce their homework and then do do well on exams. There's all this messy stuff in between. And, um, and so I think the challenging behavior is with the learned helplessness being the root is that it comes up in these different symptoms where they might be texting in class or they might be reading a novel. I had a, I had a student reading a novel in class recently um, or they're disengaged or they're not turning in their work or they're not doing well um, or they're not coming to class. Like those mm-hmm. I think are the challenging behaviors. Yeah. Right. So you really have to stick to both stand one and stand three, you know, keeping your, your, your clear structure and boundaries for, for handling that, those types of behaviors. Right. And so I don't think I handle it. I think, you know, for big things like cheating or, um, uh, yeah, I, I mean, ultimately I hold them accountable by their grades and their final grade. So it's easy for me to, you know, just issue the grade, but there's not all of this other stuff that goes with that where I'm trying to talk them into doing things and, um, I really use stand two to see where they are and what I can do to get them to the maybe smallest level or baby step up from where they are. I mean, if they're still mm-hmm. coming to class, to me, they want to be there. Mm-hmm. And that's all yeah. I really need. You know, right. if they're there or if they're not there and they're still reaching out to communicate with me, you know, I I know that they still want to be there and that's all I need. And all those little symptoms, um, you know, I've seen other professors so by <laughs> and they're 10, 11, 12 pages where they're trying oh, wow. to cover all of these things. And I don't even mention it in mine. And if I see, you know, someone disengaged or texting in class first, I think, well, they're adults <laughs> and maybe they need to, um, but I use it kind of as a, as a signal that maybe I'm not interesting enough mm. um, or maybe I need to change things. I don't hold it over their head necessarily. I, I feel all those little things are just calls for help in some ways. And, um, and I don't, I really don't feel like I have those kind of challenges in the classroom because I'm not seeing them as challenges. I'm just seeing them as symptoms of, of a deeper problem. Right. That's very interesting. What can you talk a little bit more about um, M2 and what recognitions would look like in this age group in in a college classroom? Um, I think a lot of them are um, they're not so blatant. I might use them when I'm explaining how to do a problem on the board, and I'll say things like um, I'll either call somebody out that I know wouldn't be embarrassed or, um, you know, just generalize like a student came to my office hours and, you know, said this to me and then I'll tack on, which really tells me that um, they're thinking about this and they're just having trouble distinguishing between these two ideas. And so within the lecture, I, I think I do a lot of that. 
um, in email mm-hmm. correspondences back and forth. There's a lot of sand too, um, where I say, you know, thank you for reaching out. This really shows me um, that you're well invested in the class and let's see what we can do. Mm-hmm. Um, I think though, before I start using stand two, there, there is a period in the beginning of every semester where there has to be this mutual trust. Um, because yeah, it's that primal connection that's going to make any kind of difference. Mm-hmm, so I have right. to be really vulnerable and open to allowing that kind of relationship to develop. And so um, I wouldn't call them techniques, but things that I've found that um, invoke that is learning the students' names. Like on the first day of class, it can go a bunch of different ways. I usually have 15 to 20 people on the wait list. They're desperate to get into the class. Mm-hmm. And there could be a policy that anyone who doesn't show up you know, someone else gets their spot. And it's always a very tricky, fuzzy thing on the first day. And so I take time to um, have each student individually come up to me and sign in. And I ask them what they would like to be called. And, you know, there's eye contact going on. And I'm hoping my body language is giving them the message that I think highly of them as a human being. And I'm glad they're in the class. And what I found was students who, even though I've asked as a group or asked through an email before class starts for the semester, I've asked very important questions that I need information for. (laughs) They won't tell me. However, on that first day when they're coming up individually, they tell me then. Mm -hmm. So it's like they need a little bit of privacy maybe or a – you know, they're not anonymous at that point, but there's something, I guess they need maybe to trust me first. Um, and then they open up. So that kind of starts it. And then certainly getting to know their names. I think they're um, getting to know them and very quickly. Um, and, you know, I think I put in my work to do that. Um where when they hand me a piece of paper, I'm, you know, putting their face with their name. Um, and I try to learn, you know, like three, five at a time. And um, I think that matters to them. I think they, they like to know that they matter. They're not invisible in this classroom. Um, Absolutely. I, that, and, you know, I, talking about, I mean, I think that you are, embodying stand two, which to me, stand two, a lot of what that's about is feeling seen by people, um, Mm -hmm. showing people that you see them and that you care to get to know them. And the fact that here you are a college professor and you're taking the time out of a class to get to know their names and really show them that they matter to you. Um, I think is the embodiment of STAND 2, and I think that's really, really great. Yeah, I mean, I remember just craving that as a student. I wanted a relationship with my professors. I wanted someone to mentor me with the things I wanted to know, and it was hard. I mean, I was in a classroom of 500 people. Mm, Um, I feel like a lot of it is very nuanced. It's not... um, 
it, I have to personalize it for each student by reading their body language and seeing who they are and like overhearing converse they're having to really see, really see them for who they are. Mm. And, um, you know, I have students come to the board and um, volunteer in the middle of class and I can really play that stuff up and, um, I just, I feel like it does deepen the connection without doing much. I'm not, it's not that wordy. Um, I'll send out emails to everyone thanking them for um, how easy they're making the semester. And um, like we joke that they're my sappy email. <laughs> but I, you know, I use the word, the words, I want you to know that this is not going unnoticed. Um just right. because they are working hard. You know, they're taking time off from work when they need extra tutoring. And I, I really want them to know that, yes, that's what it takes, but I do, like, please know that I appreciate what you're going through. Um, getting a last-minute babysitter to come to class. Um, mm-hmm. I think they need to know that that's being appreciated so that they, you know, keep plugging away at it. Right. So true. So um, true. So, Michelle, yeah. I think that pause this really fast because I do think that we have our um, – I oh, think yay. Sally has joined us. Sally, are you there? Yes, I am. Hi. Yay, you made it. Hi, Sally. Welcome. Hi. I completely apologize. Our clocks in our university have not changed time. and. Oh, yeah. A student came in and, and she was in tears and I was helping her and I'm just I'm looking at the clock out of the corner of my eye and thinking, Oh, no problem, got an hour, you know, then it's forty five minutes and then all of a sudden I realized, Oh my gosh, I let it have her go somewhere else so I can be on this call. I'm so so sorry. So oh, it's oh, good you're here. here. It sounds like you're doing I've been on for a bit, so it sounds like you're having good chat. About the nurturing heart approach and how you use it at school. Yeah. Yep, you got it. You got it. Yes, Michelle was just giving us a a rundown of how she uses the three stands in her classroom environment. And not just in the classroom environment, but also with connecting with students outside of the classroom environment through emails and um, You actually, you know, your, your story that you just shared with us about having the student in your office was is kind of an interesting um, segue into us talking to you about how you use the food stand as a college professor, um, because it sounds like, I'm guessing, you probably kicked in the stand too a little bit with this girl that was in your office. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I guess one of, if, if you don't mind, I'll share a little bit of what I do. I prepare teachers. And so my, I teach a, a class called Inclusive Classroom, which is working with students from all different kinds of needs, everywhere from gifted children to children with cognitive delay and lots of physical handicaps and all of those things. And so basically what I'm doing is I'm helping prepare the teachers to go into the classroom to have inclusive classrooms where all of these children are present in the classroom no matter what their special needs happen to be. And so one of the things that I do is I actually do teach them the very first seminar about what is the nurtured heart approach. I teach the stands. We practice them. 
We uh, talk, actually, I used something that Matt Steinborn gave me a long time ago about um, how to uh, use some words that are not good job so that teachers need to learn about all of those things. And so one of the ways that I not only practice the nurtured heart approach after we have trained it but and prepared our students, but also preparing them so that they initially understand about how to use the stance in their own classroom. Okay, that is incredible. I love, love, love to hear about professors teaching nurtured heart approach in their classrooms to the future teachers. Um, that is so, so, so very important, and it's something that is, I believe, to be lacking um, in academia. And so, I'm so happy to hear that. That's what, that's part of what you do. That's incredible. Well, one of the things that you might be interested in, so my my students in that class are all in response to intervention groups. So they have four people in a group, and they're in that same group for a whole semester. And so after I teach the nurtured heart approach, amazingly, they start to use it with each other. And <laughs> they're using, you know, all of the words that we use to talk about the recognizing the greatness in our students, they use for each other. And when they write their evaluations, their group, they're using all the terminology. So I feel like it's, it's sealing in to their practice so that when they get out in the field, that they're able to use these things as they do their student teaching and as they go into the classroom as a teacher. So I think it's a very, it's very, very important for them to learn this. And I, the evaluations are always spectacular, actually, about um, our use of the nurtured heart approach in our classroom. Oh, I love that. That's great. Yes, you know, you're laying this foundation for these teachers to um, just naturally use the nurtured heart in in their classes they begin teaching. Well, how incredible is that? We have most teachers, whether they're teaching, you know, at the elementary level or at the college level, whatever (laughs) level of teachers don't know nurtured heart approach and have to learn it after the fact, after they've already begun teaching and found their ways and what works or seemingly works for them. And so to learn nurtured heart after that, you know, it, it just poses more of a challenge. Um, to, and then to be able to come into your teaching career having the Nurture Carter Post already part of your toolbox, that's, that's incredible, and what a great way to set up a teacher for success. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's, it seems, it's, you're giving the teachers such a rich and um, experience as first-year teachers. Like, they will have like a depth and a texture to that mm. first time they become a teacher that I don't think goes on without nurtured heart. That's, I love it. It's great. Yes. So I'm finding that um, not only does that really work, but as we're preparing the teachers, then they're interested in bringing it into their classroom. So I have gone to the classrooms of some of the students that have graduated from our program and actually worked with them in their classroom to use Nurtured Heart Approach in the classroom. 
So it's a, and encourage them. Also, I've had several that have gone to training so that they've gotten the nurtured heart approach from Howie and others. And so I think that it's important for us to carry on the dream with, with others as they kind of catch the fire about how important it is to recognize and build the capacity of greatness and kids. Oh, absolutely. Yes. Yes. Wow. This is just, uh, this is an interesting conversation. I love to hear um, how the nurtured heart kind of trans- can, can transform all aspects of life, not just for young kids, which, you know, so many people are misinformed think that it's really just for your young, your young kids. And it's just simply not. It's for all ages, and this mm-hmm. conversation is really um, eye-opening to that. And, in fact, actually, I have a question that I would love to ask the two of you about um, that kind of connects to what I was just saying, which is how I would imagine that some of the students that come to you in your college classrooms, would, that they probably come with a fairly negative portfolio from their past, you know, cases while schooling experiences. And I'm just curious, I'm just, just really curious about how, as a professor who, who is a trainer in the nursing heart approach, how would you support these students in a college environment um, from a heart perspective to build a more positive portfolio? Well, I'll jump in. This is Sally. I direct the Southeast Asian Teacher Program, which is Mm -hmm. a a program that prepares uh, persons of color to become teachers. And they're already working out in schools as homeschool liaisons or translators or paraprofessionals. And these folks come from uh, as immigrants and refugees with quite a different portfolio than some of our students might come with. And so on uh, Friday afternoons, we have a seminar, and I have the opportunity to um, talk with them many times using the nurtured heart approach without calling it that, by by using the stands, by you teaching them about reset, um, teaching the the various different pieces of of that whole. Um, portfolio of ideas that we have that can help them to become uh, better teachers. And so they can turn around even in, in their years of uh, teacher prep while they're still operating in their other roles to use this methodology to not only deal with others but to deal with their own issues that they have coming from other countries and not speaking English and having difficulty in school with all matter of academic things um, and how they're able to, to actually use this approach for themselves and for others. Mm. So it sounds like kind of just living and modeling it for them is, um, is kind of the way in which you are teaching this to them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's great. Yeah, I would say, um, the yeah, I, w- I can actually say 20% of my students are where they should be academically in my classes, which leaves 80% mm-hmm. not. And right. it is 
very much a negative portfolio. It's it's mm-hmm. a negative self perception of their ability. Not mm-hmm. who they are necessarily as people, but their ability. And so I'm when they reach out to me or even if I reach out to them, I want us to get to a place where I'm I can work with them and we can step through things that I know that they know and find the place where it breaks down for them. Mm-hmm. And so I, I model it too. I say, um, okay, so there's going to be, if you're anything like me, there's going to be a place where you just freeze. Let's, let's try to identify that place where you freeze. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I think the, the trick even more than connecting, well, maybe not more than connecting with them is to slow things down. I think there's a tendency in academia to be rushing, rushing to and from classes, rushing with notes, rushing with plugging in your computer. There's just Uh rush, rush, rush. And so I really try to slow things down and even narrate the slowing down process and how that's so important for success. And, um, And so I get to the place where I'm showing them that they can do it. They make progress, and a baby step to me is, yeah, a miracle. And, um, you know, even in their test-taking, when I have them evaluate what they've done after they get their grades back, and I, I say, I want you to look at everything that you got right, and I want you to, to have a conversation with yourself. Why did I get that right? What did I do to be able to produce that? Um, and, and then you can look at the things that you got wrong. <laughs> Oh my God, um, that's, I love that's a I, big piece. And that's oh, go huge, ahead, Michelle. That's not. I just want to. I'm so sorry to interrupt you, but that's huge to me because that is not common for no. It's not any sort right, of right, 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 right. At any level, no. be focusing on what they got right on their test. You know, the 20 percent mm-hmm. of answers that they actually got right. Let's talk about that. That, yeah, right? that wasn't a guess. I have to add that part in to be playful. <laughs> that yeah. wasn't a guess mm-hmm. that you got right. Um, I would also say even talking about the grades, they always want to know what was the class average, and they want to know numbers. And and so we have a conversation early on about what those numbers mean, and I tell them my interpretation. If you got a 58% on that first test, that means you know 58% of the material. If you know 58%, you can surely know 20% more or 30% more. And I want to turn that idea about what a grade means. A grade is just, you know, should just be feedback on how much of it you know. Um, and it's just one point in time, right? Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think that growth mindset kind of creeps in there a little bit um, mm-hmm. when helping students. Um something else I wanted to say I mean it it does become very experiential for them um, when they're willing to sit down and um, and then I comment on not just that they got it but what process did they just discover about themselves to get mm-hmm. them get them there and um, yeah we're going through that right now I'm chemical nomenclature is a huge deal in chemistry it's the language of chemistry and um, I don't think they know how much work it takes. And um, I had a situation last week where they weren't where they were supposed to be given plenty of time. And so we had to kind of get through that in a positive way, um, which turned out to be really nice. I'm glad it worked out that way. So. Mm-hmm. 
Well, that was a perfect pause right for our bell. Yeah, right. Time to wrap right. up our conversation. Sure. Um, yeah. This, um, I, I, you know, it's funny because I have, I come prepared with a list of questions that I might want to ask you guys if we need, need a little guidance in the conversation. And one of my questions was, how do you make an impact on building inner wealth when you only see these students one to two times a week mm-hmm. or however many times it might be? Um, and just, you know, just a quick wrap-up, I, 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 I do want to hear your responses to it, um, to that question. Mm-hmm. But I, at the same time, I don't feel like I actually have to because you guys have been, done such a beautiful job of explaining how you use the three stands in your classroom environment and what you do in your life with the Nurture Charter approach as a college professor. And I, I've been, you guys have touched my heart. I mean, I really think that it's, 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 it's beautiful what you're doing out there in your very different world. You know, you're both professors, but you, you're both doing very different things, yet you have this commonality with the Nurture Charter approach that ties you together and brings this, um, these two different worlds together. And I, I just appreciate mm-hmm. everything mm-hmm. you have shared. And mm-hmm. I do want to hear how, what do you think is the most effective way that you have found to build inner wealth in those students? Um, I think for me is um, letting them know that uh, that they have this, they're not isolated in how they think about things. Um, like one expression I use a lot is, uh, recognizing their ability to tolerate things. You know, we always say you have to have discipline, discipline, and that might not mean anything to them, but it does mean something to them. Wow, you have the ability to tolerate boredom. I know I know how boring this could be. You're sitting here for two hours, and then you're going to go to a three-hour lab. And, um, and so then they start, you know, kind of internalizing, like, yeah, okay, so I guess it takes <laughs> the ability to mm-hmm. tolerate um, boredom right. and frustration to make any progress and um and, the, and you know it is a positive self-perception the way they interpret that kind of thing right. and you know i i think the language the vocabulary you know I'll, um use the word scholarship which they might mm-hmm. not hear a lot mm-hmm. associated right. to themselves and um and just that they can handle anything, you know, like I said, when they make an effort to get to class when it's really hard um, and it's not going unnoticed, I think they also embody that a little bit as like, yeah, I do have what it takes in this mm-hmm. arena. Absolutely. Thank you. you. You bring Go up ahead. a really important point, I think, about how difficult it is for some of our students to just get to class. Um, mm-hmm. I work with all immigrants and refugee kiddos, and many of them have are they living with their in-laws, or their in-laws are living with them, and they have not only responsibility for their children, but they have responsibility for the elders as well. Mm-hmm. And so, just being able to find the time to leave their work. All my students are working during the day, and they're coming to school at night. Yeah. So mm-hmm. in between work and school they have to prepare the food and get everything ready for everyone else in their family. And sometimes there are like 12 or 15 members living in their family, in their home. And so mm-hmm. there, there's a lot of people to take care of. So I really, you know, appreciated what you had to say. And I, I very quickly will just say that what my students report to me is they know that they can call me anytime. 
And if they have difficulty, that I will help talk them through whatever the issue is that's going on. So keeping mm. the boundaries clear, but at the same time, they know that they always have a listening ear. And I, I think that that's a, an important um, part for them to feel that they are building capacity because they know there's somebody to help them talk through the issues. So remembering things like, may you always live all of the days of your life. So you are like building that capacity. You're living as you're doing Mm. and becoming strong. Mm, I love that. Yeah. Thank you guys both for, um, I just, I want to take just a second before I jump into our announcements um, to say how much I appreciate that you both are bringing the relationship piece of Nurtured Heart to your classroom. Mm-hmm. I, I have heard that all over this conversation on this podcast, that it is all about, from both of your perspectives, building that healthy relationship with your students in, mm-hmm. however, in whatever manner it takes. Um, whether it's through email, email responses, or first day of class getting to know mm-hmm. each other, or um, you know, letting letting your students call you to work through any any troubles they might be having, um, you guys are building relationships out there, and that is what it takes. As we all three of us on this call know, it is <laughs> yeah. absolutely right what it takes to create right. thriving people, have successful relationships. So I appreciate the two of you for what you're doing and for our college students out there. Yeah. Okay. Here's one thing that I say to my students, don't despise your humble beginnings because they're what the rest of your life is built upon. Mm. Oh, that's that's good. That's beautiful. Absolutely. All right, ladies, I do have to wrap up our conversation, unfortunately, and I have some announcements to make. I want to invite all of our listeners to join us for future Nurtured Heart Approach podcasts, either by following us at Blog Talk Radio or at childrensuccessfoundation.com forward slash NHA hyphen podcast, or you can search Nurtured Heart Approach in iTunes. Register for the free SANS e-course also on our website, childrensuccessfoundation.com. This is a free e-course that is delivered directly to your email inbox. The emails are spaced about three days apart to allow for application and reflection before the next one arrives. All NHA podcasts are recorded and archived for on-demand listening pleasure. Feel free to share the link to our channel here at blogtalkradio.com forward slash Nurtured Heart Approach. Registration for our certification training intensives, or CTIs, for the summer of 2018 are now open. This is the five-and-a-half-day training with the developer of Nurtured Heart Approach, Howard Glasser. Attending the training enables you to be a certified trainer, which allows you to teach and train using using NHA, but brings you a much deeper understanding of NHA that can be applied to your own personal life. To register, go to childrensuccessfoundation.com under the training tab. Now, back to my guests, Michelle and Sally. Do you guys have any parting words that you would like to leave for our listeners today? Sally, you kind of already left us with a very profound statement, um, which was absolutely beautiful. But if you have something else you'd like to share, please do. I would just share this one little thing, and that is it's important that we all encourage the hearts of everyone on our journey. Mm, Yes. Yes, it is. I second that. How about you, Michelle? Any parting words? Um, Yeah, I mean, 
just that nurtured heart, the nurtured heart approach isn't really to me anymore about a strategy I use to fit my agenda necessarily. Mm-hmm. It's just a, it, it does, it gives a richness to how I live my life and it's not work anymore for me. It's, um, it just makes things more fulfilling by a thousandfold. And, um, and I love having it to anchor to. I can't, like I said, I, I can't imagine living my life without having this piece of information and experience. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So I interpret that for our new listener, or for our listeners who are new to the Nurture Card approach. I interpret what Michelle just said for you guys as don't give up. Even when nurtured hard gets hard and it feels like it's not working in the beginning, don't give up. Just keep on going. Right. You'll get to where Michelle is at if you keep on going and Sally and myself. Um, yeah, and if I could add just you. one thing. Oh, yes, of course. <laughs> um, the, the, when I started Nurtured Heart Approach, my, my adorable two-, three-year-old brought me to it, but I think my buy-in and my um, – sticking with it even through, you know, um, frustrating times was because I could honestly say that that's the only thing that would have worked with me as a teenager. Um, and that's really powerful. I mean, I just, that's the thing that always kept bringing me back to get over the next hurdle. So I'll leave the audience with that one. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Thank you for having us on. You're yes, welcome. Thanks, Stephanie. It was good talking so with you both. That. It was great to talk to you guys. Take care. Enjoy the rest of your day. All righty. Okay, bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Any stories shared in this broadcast are amalgams of experiences based on the use of the Nurtured Heart Approach by our hosts and our guests and are not based on any particular person, child, or adult. What a matchup! And what a team, Mike! Metro PCS and the iPhone SE for $0 on a network that covers 99% of people in the U.S. Oh, impressive. Play with the best. Switch to Metro PCS on an unlimited LTE plan and get a 32-gig iPhone SE for $0. Metro PCS. Coverage not available in some areas, plus sales tax. Claim based on talk and text. Not valid for active numbers currently on the T-Mobile network or active on Metro PCS in the past 90 days. See store for details and terms and conditions. What a matchup! And what a team, Mike! Metro PCS and the iPhone SE for $0 on a network that covers 99% of people in the U.S. Oh, impressive. Play with the best. Switch to Metro PCS and an unlimited LTE plan and get a 32-gig iPhone SE for $0. Metro PCS. Coverage not available in some areas, plus sales tax. Claim based on talk and text. Not valid for active numbers currently on the T-Mobile network or active on Metro PCS in the past 90 days. See store for details and terms and conditions.